Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Hello, friends and neighbors. Welcome back to the Bill Press Pod and to this week's Roundtable, where we look back on the big news of the week with three of Washington's top political reporters. Kenosha, Wisconsin was the epicenter of this week's news with both Donald Trump and Joe Biden traveling to the site of last week's shooting of Jacob Blake for two very different kinds of visits. As both Trump and Biden aired new TV ads blaming the other for riots that have disrupted peaceful protests in Kenosha and Portland, Oregon. Meanwhile, it may not get as much attention in the media, but the coronavirus is far from over. It keeps rolling on, with several states reporting a record number of new cases, college campuses in new hotspots, and with over 189,000 Americans now dead of the disease. Is the FDA under pressure from the Trump administration to release a new vaccine before the November election? And in Donald Trump's world, how many times can you vote in November and still get away with it? Well, here to tackle all of the above and more, Addie Baird, political reporter for BuzzFeed. Hi, Addie. Hi, Bill. Welcome back. Maya King, political reporter for Politico. Hi, Maya. Hey there. Good to have you here. And Jason Dick with us again, deputy editor of CQ Roll Call. Hello, Jason. Hello. Good morning, everybody. Okay, so, you know, uh, here we are less than two months now before the November 3rd uh, election uh, on this Friday, September 4, at about 8.30 a.m. when we gather around the roundtable. We have heard over the last four years uh, a lot of crazy things from Donald Trump. This week, um, they seem to come faster uh, and more often than ever. I want to play just a few of the things we heard from Donald Trump this week and uh, ask each of you to get your reaction. Um, Addy, let's start with this one about um, a special plane lo- loan of visitors heading for Washington, D.C. We had somebody get on a plane from a certain city this weekend, and in the plane it was almost completely loaded with, with thugs wearing these dark uniforms, black uniforms with gear and this and that. They're, they're on a plane. Where's the worst place? I'll tell you sometime, but I, I, it's under investigation right now. But they came from a certain city, and this person was coming to the Republican National Convention. And there were like seven people on the plane like this person, and then a lot of people were on the mm-hmm. plane to do big damage. Plane load of thugs with dark uniforms, Eddie. And the evidence behind that? Well, there isn't any. <laughs> um, is, oh, is surprise, what, surprise. It is, yeah, shocking. Um, <laughs> this is basically uh, a conspiracy theory that somehow made its way to Trump, as these conspiracy theories that, you know, kind of crop up on the Internet tend to do. Um, and, you know, he basically he basically is just repeating this without evidence. Um, and, and this is kind of classic. Trump behavior, um, you know, you really have to, you really have to um, think for a minute about the likelihood of some of these things because, uh, well, I think it maybe raises red flags for us. But when he, when the president just says things, uh, there are a lot of people who believe him. But but your very first question is there evidence? The answer is no. There's none. Yeah. So Maya, uh, then uh, this is the same interview, by the way, with Laura Ingram on Fox. Uh, the president speculated about who is actually running, pulling the puppet strings for Joe Biden. Here he is. Who do you think is pulling Biden's strings? Uh, Is it former Obama? People that you've never heard of, people that are in the dark shadows, people that. What does that mean? That sounds like conspiracy theory, dark shadows. No, people that you haven't heard of. They're, They're people that are on the streets. They're people that are controlling the streets. Maya, people. In the dark shadows. 
What's yeah. going on? <laughs> well, this gets back to uh, the, the original, you know, point that's already been made, which is that these people likely do not exist. Um, but at this stage in, in the campaign, I think what the Trump campaign has been trying to do and what Trump has been doing is just to sow further confusion among people. Because the, the knee-jerk reaction to statements like that is, you know, just what? You know, what is what is he referring to? Who are these people? Where do we find them? What does this mean? What Where are the dark shadows? Um, and all it does is just make people, you know, even more confused about what this president is, is talking about. And it really almost distracts from his point, which was to try to denigrate the character of, of Joe Biden. But I think we're so caught up on on exactly what he was trying to say um, that 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 point isn't even achieved. Is it a dog whistle statement? It, I think it could be perceived that way. Absolutely. Um, I think both of the statements that that we've played already were, were, were very much in that in that vein of, of dog whistle, dark shadows, people dressed in all black, especially the phrase thugs. We know the kind of attention that these um, these words really get and what they're really referring to. Um, and especially whenever we're talking about um, Trump and, and his references to, to the Obama administration and whatever they're doing, there's always some element um, of, of racism really there and some kind of a dog whistle to refer to that. Okay, so Jason, uh, <laughs> crazy statement number three yes. here. Um, you know, I've been around politics a long time, and it's always a joke when you get close to Election Day, you say to your friends, vote early and often. <laughs> it used, we used to think it was a joke, but for Donald Trump on a visit to North Carolina, maybe he didn't mean it. I, he did not mean it as a joke. Here he is uh, this week. If you get the unsolicited ballots, send it in and then go make sure it counted. And if it doesn't tabulate, you vote. You just vote. And then if they tabulated very late, which they shouldn't be doing, They'll see you voted, and so it won't count. So send it in early, and then go and vote. And if it's not tabulated, you vote, and the vote is going to count. Shall we just state for the record that in all 50 states and all the territories, it is illegal to vote twice? Yes, it is a felony, actually. It's a class one felony. And also, it is illegal to solicit people to vote twice. So... Um, you know, uh, you know, and the White House has backtracked on this, and they're trying to f figure out ways to explain it away about what he, you know, that he didn't mean what he actually said, and blah blah blah. You know, like typical, um, you know, like this strange way of trying to backfill, you know, after after the uh, the, the field has been plowed, so to speak. I I don't know. It, it's it's uh, as you said, like everything that we thought was a joke in previous years is is now. Um, kind of deadly serious. And I, I mean, to me, it just comes back to all three of these statements, all, you know, dark shadows and thugs on planes and, and all this kind of stuff. It, it speaks to that, you know, when, it, when a television show gets to the end of its useful life, they start pulling out all the stops to keep people watching. And that, that <laughs> seems like that we're in that stage now where, we're, we're, uh, you know, Bobby Ewing coming back to life uh, because it was all a dream and, you know, like evil twins and all this kind of stuff. Uh, maybe worth noting that voting starts today in North Carolina. <laughs> so, <laughs> so for those for those listening in North Carolina, please vote only once. Uh, don't listen to what the president's saying. But this last, last statement takes on an added meaning, I ask all of you around the roundtable, uh, doesn't it? When yesterday we heard from the Department of Homeland Security that Russia is, in fact, already involved in attempting to influence the outcome of this year's election in two ways. One, with bots or social media stuff, questioning Donald Trump's mental, I mean, I'm sorry, Joe Biden's mental capacity and questioning the validity of mail-in ballots. Addie, both of those statements we've heard from Donald Trump, right? Oh, absolutely. And, you know, <laughs> I think it, it, it sometimes we talk about these things so often that we forget to kind of note that they're they're just flat out wrong. Like, I think that we, we talk about mail-in voting, we talk about the president's attacks on mail-in voting. And I guess I just I feel like the most important thing to note 
is that it, it, none of it's true. Like none of it's true. Um, I'm from Utah, which is an entirely there vote by go. mail state, right. um, a red state that is entirely vote by mail. Um, and people love voting by mail. It works well. Um, there was a really great interview with um, McKay Coppins in the Atlantic. He interviewed um, Spencer Cox, who's the the Republican nominee for governor, currently the um, the uh, lieutenant governor of Utah, who talked about um, the security measures that they go through in Utah um, to to match signatures on each ballot, um, and it works. It keeps people safe. People are able to vote without um, standing in lines in the middle of a pandemic. And the the other stat that I've been pointing to a lot lately is Oregon, which has been a vote by mail state since the year 2000, found, um, you know what, I'm, I'm going to double check it because I don't want to say it wrong because there's a lot of zeros um, in, in this number. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, the cases of fraud... Um, in in Oregon's mail-in ballots since 2000, literally less than one half of 1%. Like, it is so rare to have fraud in these mail-in ballots, um, in in mail-in voting, in in mail-in voting elections. Um, And so, yes, it's something that Trump is saying. It's something that um, his supporters are saying. It's something that bots that um, reiterate what he says are saying, and they're wrong. Yeah, but so Maya, back to the central question, the central point here. We know now this is September early. We know the Russians are in fact, Trump still doesn't admit they were involved in 2016. His own administration says now, in fact, they are involved in this election. What's going to be done about it? Well, I think um, under Anything? this... Under this administration, I doubt anything will really uh, be done here, because I think one thing that we also have to point out here in um, in Russian interference and foreign interference here are the groups that are being targeted. Um, Black and Latino voters are also being heavily influenced by a number of these messages, and that is a block that Democrats absolutely need to win in November. A yep. lot of messages that Black voters have been receiving, we know that African American and Latino voters are already very wary of mail-in voting. They are very much in favor of going to the polls in person. But now that that's not so much of an option, a lot of the messages that they've received are, look, if you mail in your ballot, it might actually be illegitimate. Or if you, you know, make sure that you're not mailing in your ballot because you won't actually be able to see that it makes it and that it's counted. I mean, these are the messages that those groups are receiving. And so if I um, am a, a official with the Trump administration or simply if I am, you know, we know that Trump makes a lot of these decisions on his own, uh, looking at that kind of development, probably saying, you know what, I'm going to keep my hands off of this because I think that their calculus here is that this in the end really helps their bottom line um, because the base voters... Um, there are the members of Trump's base, you know, they're not necessarily, their votes, or at least to their understanding, um, are pretty safe. You know, they don't have to necessarily worry about whether or not um, a foreign player is going to impact their ability to vote for Donald Trump. And so the groups that really are, um, you know, being targeted and that, and whose votes will, mm-hmm. will help the most in the end um, are, are the ones that I think Trump is not going to try to interfere with in any way. And Jason, if the administration and the president won't do anything about Russia's interference, I guess we can't count on Congress to do anything either. Hmm? Well, yeah, and it, and I would say that it's never really a great idea, at least in the last few years, to uh, to hope that Congress will come through for you um, on <laughs> you know, anything. Just, just handicapping, uh, you know, the odds of of just getting even a a stopgap spending bill through to get us through the election is, uh, or dicey odds at this point. So, no, I mean, we're, we're sort of at the mercy of, you know, tech companies, uh, trying to do, you know, like basically policing their mm-hmm. sites, uh, you know, wh- whether it's uh, social media or, uh, local and state, uh, election officials, uh, you know, making sure that their, in, uh, their systems are, you know, have integrity. I mean, like that's, that's where we're at it, it, that those authorities have been basically devolved. Right. So again, as I said, at the very top, Kenosha was the epicenter of active polit- of activity this week. And what happened, uh, in Kenosha, uh, the tra- uh, just unbelievable police shooting of Jacob Blake, which we all saw on video over and over again, um, should not be political, perhaps, but let's face it, it is political. Uh, it's been made political, uh, and particularly this week when first Donald Trump and then Joe Biden 
went to Kenosha, and then both of them released on two different, very different kind of visits. And afterward, both of them released ads uh, about the unrest in the streets of Kenosha and Portland. Uh, let's start. I want to play the ads back to back and then get each of you to uh, uh, respond to kind of what you see happening in Kenosha. Let's start with the Trump ad. Lawless criminals terrorize Kenosha. Joe Biden takes a knee. Biden and the radical left's weak response has led to chaos and violence, and their calls for defunding police would make it worse. President Trump is making it stop, sending National Guard and federal law enforcement to protect Wisconsin's families. Communities, not criminals. Jobs, not mobs. Strong leadership when America needs it most. I want to make it absolutely clear, rioting is not protesting, looting is not protesting, it's lawlessness, plain and simple, and those who do it should be prosecuted. Fires are burning and we have a president who fans the flames. He can't stop the violence because for years he's fomented it, but his failure to call on his own supporters to stop acting as an armed militia in this country shows how weak he is. Maya, let's start with you. Totally different approach, the law and order approach to the let's bring us together approach, which is more effective? Well, I think what we see from the polling is really that the the message that Biden is pushing um, of racial reconciliation or of bringing folks together and trying to find some solutions to systemic racism um, that we saw in these very different visits to Kenosha, Biden's um, strategy is playing better with voters, plainly and simply. And in an election where this is really a referendum on racial justice, the candidate who is proposing actually, you know, um, figuring out solutions and figuring out and actually calling systemic racism what it is, um, is playing better, not just with black voters, but voters across the racial spectrum. I mean, this is clearly a crisis of public safety. Uh, voters recognize that. And the president currently is really pushing a law and order message, but you're not able to see that on the ground. And the total irony of, of the Trump ad, of course, is the fact that he's showing these scenes of unrest and of violence in the streets saying this is what Biden's America will look like when, in fact, we are living in Trump's America currently. And these are things that are happening right now with very little solutions on the ground outside of, of course, these talking points about punishing protesters, looters, rioters. These are the words that um, the Trump administration and his allies are using. Um, and saying that, you know, these were people who will be punished to the full extent of the law. And again, like these are not things that voters are able to see writ large firsthand. Um, and it, it doesn't it doesn't quite play. It doesn't really land. So, Jason, um, the president made it very clear that when he went to Kenosha, his sole interest was in backing up the law enforcement and the police officers did not meet with the family of Jacob Blake, still to this day has not mentioned his name. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, and also, I, I just, I want to point this out. I mean, it, it's uh, folly to try to point out all of the misleading statements, but like one of the things in the ad, the president does not call out the National Guard. The governors, you know, yes. are, they call out the National Guard. In this case, it was Tony Evers, who's a Democrat, and he's the governor of Wisconsin, and he deployed the National Guard. Uh, I, and, and the... I mean, you'd look at just the approach of the ads, and then you look at the approach of each, you know, person on the ground, Trump and Biden, this week in Kenosha, and one is designed to get people agitated and pissed off and scared, and the other is trying to calm people down. And and as Maya said, you know, Biden's approach seems to be the one that people are are more people are responding to. I mean, now obviously some people are still responding to the president, but um, you know the, the he doesn't do himself any good by by creating these weird, misleading sort of trails to follow. I mean, like the you know he he said that that the, he wanted to pose you know for a photo op and include this guy whose business had been destroyed in the in the rioting, and 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 the the person didn't want to do it. And so they found the owner of the building and sort of tried to portray him as the owner. And it's just like it's it's things like that that I mean, it's just designed to get people's backs up. And because there are so many falsehoods associated with it, it's it's really they sh they keep shooting themselves in the foot. And part of it is that they just don't have any other options at this point. 
Right. Uh, and so, Addy, I, I hate to burden you with yet another Trump statement this week, but I'm going to. Uh, but particularly in the wake of it, like the latest this morning is the news of this uh, uh, seven police officers in Rochester, New York, uh, who were suspended in this unbelievable case of a, a naked man um, having a mental seizure of some kind uh, thrown to the ground and killed by these seven police officers. It's it's like nonstop on top of it. I mean, the name is we're so familiar with now, Eric Gardner and Jameer Rice and Breonna Taylor and George Floyd and Jacob Blake. And I don't know the name of this man in Rochester. But so the president in his interview with Laura Ingram again was asked about police officers who abuse their power. Here is his take. Police are under siege because of things. They can do 10,000 great acts, which is what they do, and one bad apple or a choker. You know, a choker. They choke. Uh, shooting they, the guy, they, they, they shooting the guy in the back many times, but they choke. Just like in a golf tournament, they miss a three-foot... You're pop. not comparing it to golf because, of course, that's no, what the media... I'm saying say. people yeah. choke. People, people, people choke. She tries to save him, Addie. <laughs> <laughs> she does. She does. And there was that moment, you know, in another in another clip you played where Laura Ingraham goes, yeah. well, that sounds like a conspiracy theory. <laughs> and and you know you're in deep when you've got Laura Ingraham, you know, kind of pushing you on, on some of these questions. Um, yeah, you know, this, this the, the name of the man who was killed in Rochester, his name is Daniel Prude. And um, he was killed in, he was killed in March and it was, it was, it's a really pretty harrowing case and it's one that i think um is is helpful to think about activists who who are actually calling to abolish and defund the police and 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 this case is is a big is is really demonstrates why that has been um why that that uh, that abolitionist movement is pushing for for this which is that daniel prude was suffering a psychotic episode and to have seven police officers suffocate him is is that public safety really like is that really um community care is that really um community policing um and and you know it, the argument that that abolitionists make that i think is often i i find to be very compelling is that um Instead of having police officers respond to an episode like this, it should be public safety experts and public health experts and mental health experts who are responding to Daniel Prude instead of these police officers who are armed, who are instinctually trained to um, to escalate, essentially. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, the last thing I'll, I'll add is, is Trump talks about one bad apple and this gets brought up all the time when we're talking about police but no one ever says you know the rest of the phrase which is one bad apple ruins the bunch yeah uh and the mayor by the way made the point i think uh, that you just made Addie, the mayor of Mark rochester when she said that she had let down daniel prude as well as the mental health experts uh, in that in that community. Uh, so much to talk about, and we didn't even get to the coronavirus yet or the politics of the moment, uh, but we'll jump into that as soon as we take a quick break here on uh, today's Roundtable with uh, Maya King, Addie Baird, and Jason Dick. We'll be right back. And today's Roundtable brought to you by the International Brotherhood of Teamsters, the Teamsters Union under the leadership of President James Hoffa. America's largest and most diverse union, 1.4 million members, uh, representing truck drivers, yes, nationwide, but also vegetable workers in California, construction workers in Las Vegas, bakery workers in Maine, brewers in St. Louis, and zookeepers in Pennsylvania, among many, many others, as they say they represent every uh, line of work from A to Z. We salute the Teamsters for their great work and thank them for their support of the Bill Press Pod. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. 
Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. And we're back with today's roundtable here on the Bill Press Pod. Eddie Baer joins us from BuzzFeed. Maya King from Politico and Jason Dick from Roll, CQ Roll Call. Uh, the coronavirus uh, hardly over, no matter what the uh, speakers at the Republican National Convention tried to tell us. Um, 189,000 deaths as of today uh, that will qu- clearly reach the projected uh, target of, uh, not target, but uh, toll of 200,000 by November 1st. And this morning, health experts predict a total of 410,000 Americans dead by the beginning of the year from the coronavirus. Uh, and yet, we, and we're seeing new hotspots, particularly in college campuses in Iowa, Georgia, Alabama, South Carolina, and North Carolina. At the same time, rumblings that the FDA is going to be out with a vaccine, surprise, surprise, by November 3rd. Jason, um, is this the politicization of the coronavirus pandemic? Well, yes, and I, I, I would say that we're kind of like well past uh, the, the, the politicization of it, but certainly where the vaccine development comes in. Um, you know, a, a former colleague of mine at, uh, years ago at National Journal, who's now at Bloomberg, who covers the FDA, Anna Edney, she, she said earlier this week that the FDA is doing what they have long chastised pharmaceutical companies for doing, which is just running the numbers until they got a result that they wanted. Uh, this is not through the use, extensive use of clinical trials and, and double blinds and placebos and so forth, because that takes time. Uh, and that would not necessarily favor the preferred uh, timetable for the president. So this looks like uh, basically a big photo op, you know, uh, to to you know, sort of start vaccinating people uh, before the election. Of course, as as you noted, Bill, uh, voting starts today yeah. <laughs> and this week. So um, people will have a lot of people will have voted by then. And I do think that you know politics or not, people are just starting to see more and more uh, of the of the, the virus affecting them. Maybe people who are insulated are now starting to see people who they know uh, have, have get, get sick or die or people who they've heard of, like Hall of Fame pitcher Tom Seaver, who died this week. Yeah. I mean, like it, it just the news just keeps getting grimmer and uh, the, and the disease just simply does not care about the political timetable. But Maya, isn't it concerning with just a week ago, the head of the FDA was in the briefing room with the president and made some statements about this convalescent plasma and its effectiveness. And then the next day he apologized for what he said, said he didn't tell the truth. Uh, clearly, he was under pressure from Trump to appear without a mask in the briefing room. Absolutely. And and we know that he's not actually an epidemiologist either. So there's a lot of questions there about whether or not, you know, this is a figure that the American people can look to and say, okay, what I hear he's saying, I can trust and I can I can follow through on. And that's what really alarms me about the news of a potential vaccine by November. Because my biggest question is who's going to actually, you know, take it? 
Um, are we going to see a second front on on the culture war where um, yeah. people are are willing to you know get vaccinated only on on partisan lines for the president's supporters saying you know President Trump is saying that the vaccine is safe even though things really look rushed but I trust him and I you know somehow trust the the job that he's done on the on the coronavirus up to this point so I'm going to take the vaccine versus um, I mean I could totally envision more than 50% of the country saying, I actually don't know if this is a good idea yet. I'm going to still stay inside, socially distance and avoid the, the vaccine, which would totally backfire um, on the Trump administration's plan to at least create some kind of a, a, a good news cycle here um, that might actually you know, result in, in better polling numbers, though. I, I just I'm not really sure exactly how this would play out outside of um, an attempt to get some positive PR out of the White House. And it would also, it seems, uh, add a lot of um, credence or support or to the crazy anti-vaccination people, right? Saying, say, hey, we've been telling you vaccines are, or something. It, it absolutely does. It absolutely yeah. does, which creates even more infighting, I think, among public health experts and those who might who are members of the, the anti-vaccination community, which usually you know pushes a lot of conspiracy theories. Though I think it's fair to say we could envision a. a a November in which they're saying we're right on this. Um, mm -hmm. and, and, you know, where that takes the anti-vax movement, I'm not sure, but, um, I'm sh I know that they are likely envisioning, you know, an opportunity for an opening really, um, for them on this, on this issue. So Addie, a related issue where public health official, uh, seems to be playing politics, uh, not sticking to public health. The white house physician this week issued a letter at the order of president Trump, that he did not have a stroke last November uh, when he made that unscheduled visit to uh, to Walter Reed Hospital, uh, and Donald Trump tweeting out, "No mini, no mini strokes for me." <laughs> what uh, you we know, <laughs> this is such a weird thing to crop back up, right? Like, yeah, it's it's been, you know, I, I remember the day that he you know, randomly in the middle of, it was like a Sunday afternoon, right. went to Walter Reed. And I remember because, you know, we all get the White House pool reports and the way that it unfolded in the White House pool reports was absolutely bizarre um, and, and super confusing. And I, I remember just looking at my email every few minutes and being like, what's going on? Um, and, you know, it, it, it's, it's been the, the mini strokes thing came from the president himself saying, I never had a series of mini strokes, but the book itself that he is referring to by never Michael said Schmidt. anything yeah. Yeah, by Michael Schmidt never says anything about mini, mini strokes. So this is the president um, getting really specific, denying something that wasn't specifically laid out. <laughs> and that's really, really weird, right? Yes, yes. <laughs> and, uh, and yes, absolutely. It does seem like this doctor is, you know, it, it it's often seems like this doctor is playing politics. He's always saying that Trump is healthy. He's always saying that there's nothing wrong. He's the healthiest president in history. Um, you know, at minimum, we know Trump is a senior citizen. Um, he probably has the same health concerns that all senior citizens do, especially in a pandemic. Um, and and it's this, this specificity of, of the mini strokes thing that Trump has brought up that just makes it all very, very odd. Uh, and meanwhile, uh, the politics of the movement move on. Everybody was looking for the post-convention bounce. Uh, it looks like there was no post-convention bounce, uh, Jason, for either Joe Biden or Donald Trump, right? It, it certainly appears that way. I mean, like the the, the polling that we've seen uh, that has been taken since each one of the conventions uh, seems pretty stable um, that, you know, whatever movement there was, was, was typically within the error margins. Uh, and, and the, if you look at like the most stable polls, whether that's, you know, by CBS news or, or ABC or, or, you know, Marist and so forth, it's, it's a really remarkably stable race from what it was, you know, like almost unchanged in a lot of ways since mm -hmm. March. Yeah, uh, the, uh, I looked at real clear politics this morning. Uh, Joe Biden at seven point plus seven point two percent average nationwide over Donald Trump, and it varies, of course, in the battleground states. But he's leading in almost all of them, including North Carolina. Uh, and real clear politics showed that uh, Donald Trump 
if he had a convention bounce, it was 0.7%, which I don't <laughs> think qualifies uh, def- uh, for the definition of a bounce. <laughs> yeah. And, and, you know, we were going to, we were going to like be very wary about, you know, making judgments because this been, this year has been so weird and the conventions were such a departure from what we're, what we normally have come to expect from these political conventions. But to me, it just sort of, you know, it, it sort of restates that, People have kind of made up their mind uh, or their minds about this. I'm still looking for those undecided voters out there. I just, you know, like I'm, I'm sure there are some, but I just can't imagine that that people don't have some sort of opinion on that right now about Donald Trump or Joe Biden. Yeah. Uh, by the way, we should mention, I guess, one sh- one bounce for Joe Biden was in fundraising, uh, uh, an eye popping, as everybody's using the word. $364 million uh, in August, which uh, I guess, Maya, is certainly one sign of strength nationwide. Yeah, I think I think it is. Um, but I mean, this is, as we've established for many months now, going to be an, a, an election that is a referendum on the direction of the country and where things have been. Um, and this is, uh, in Joe Biden, voters recognize uh, someone who they believe, I think, just looking at the polling and looking at where things stand, like he is really the favored candidate on a number of these huge issues like the coronavirus, mm-hmm. like race, um, racial, racial relations, um, and just like the, the general feeling of stability and the direction of the country. It shows in his polling and it, it definitely shows in his fundraising. Yeah. Uh, Addie, uh, this week, the moderators of the three presidential debates and the one vice, president, vice presidential debate were announced, a good group of people, all good friends. Uh, but are we going to see any debates, do you think? I certainly think we will see debates. Um, you know, interestingly, Nancy Pelosi said, I believe it was last week, yeah. that she didn't she didn't think that uh, debates should be held, um, which I don't really see how that serves Joe Biden at all for Nancy Pelosi to be saying that debates shouldn't shouldn't happen. Um, I think that that kind of feeds into this idea that that, that Trump and, and his base, um, you know, are, are really, really into, which is that like, you know, Joe Biden um, has handlers and that he can't, you know, come out of his basement and that he he is too scared to, you know, face the president. And um, and in, you know, I, I don't think that that's an argument that's a winning one for Biden or for his allies. Um, but, yeah, the, the moderators were announced this week. Um, I think it's going to be a, a it, like you said, it's a great slate. I think that um, Kristen Walker of NBC, I think I'm, I'm very excited to see her. I think she's a great pick. Um, and, you know, I think it'll be it'll be a really fascinating um, it'd be fascinating, I think, to see how these play out. And and of course, I think we all remember some of the the wild moments from the debates in 2016. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, it can only it can only get weirder from there now, huh? <laughs> right. Uh, in addition to Kristen Welker, of course, uh, Chris Wallace from uh, Fox News has the first presidential debate, Steve Scully from C-SPAN the second, and Susan Page, USA Today, um, a print reporter, of course, of the uh, vice presidential uh, debate. Um, so uh, uh, anybody else want to weigh in on the, the debates? Jason, do you think they're going to happen? Yeah, I, I do. I think that there's too much, you know, at stake for, for both candidates for them not to happen. I mean, for as much as, as Trump wants to taunt uh, Biden as being a fraidy cat and all this kind of stuff, um, Trump, I, I'm guessing, really views these as much needed because he mm-hmm. feed, feeds off of the attention and, uh, you know, like it, it's unclear that the debates hurt him uh, in 2016. You know, we, like I think a lot of people were creeped out by him, like sort of stalking Hillary Clinton on the <laughs> stage. And, and they, there are these meme worthy moments like when, when he said, like, no puppet, you're the puppet and so forth. But like, I don't I think that the president probably sees those as positives and mm-hmm. he, he it's better to be there uh, to, to be with a national audience than to not have one. Uh, so, Maya, I'm going to give you the last word here on the pol- political news of the week. Uh, overshadowing the presidential pol- politics was a Senate race up in Massachusetts. Ed Markey holding on to his seat over a tough challenge by a Kennedy, actually, Joe Kennedy, losing in Massachusetts. That was a, a, a big, probably the most watched Senate race in the country, correct? Correct. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I think, um, you know, it's, it's especially, um, surprising really to see a Kennedy for the first time losing in Massachusetts. Um, and it's, you know, I think again, just, a in a way, almost a, a referendum within the state of, uh, you know, this rebuke across the board of, of um, establishment politics in, in a way. Mm-hmm. And Mulvey, of course, has been in office before. Like, this is something that this, he's been he's been the state senator of Massachusetts. Folks are, are obviously very happy with the job that he's done. They didn't feel like they really needed this shift. And does I mean, Kennedy did not represent a shift or a change um, in many ways. So, yeah, it, it, it was it was really um really ground shaking uh, to see that. But, but I think looking at the polls leading up to leading up to that election, it, it wasn't too surprising either. No, but it was, it was interesting to me, fascinating to watch Ed Markey, who won as the basic, the candidate with new ideas. Uh, he got the younger <laughs> voters. He got the, he got the millenniums, all right, because of the green new deal and the AOC support. Uh, he really, uh, Jason, more than we've seen in a lot of people, he reinvented himself. Yes. I mean, it, worth noting is that uh, Joe Kennedy III was not born uh, when Ed Markey was first elected to the United <laughs> States House. And yet Ed Markey somehow became the candidate of the of the new generation, yeah. <laughs> which is, was kind of stunning. And I mean, the, on policy, you know, neither there wasn't a ton of difference, right. but Mark, you was able to, to harness the same kind of support that we saw with, with Bernie um, Sanders. And uh, you know, that it was just, it was this sort of moment. I mean, this is the first Kennedy to lose a statewide race in Massachusetts yeah. ever. Uh, and Ed Markey said, it's not your age, it's the age of your ideas. <laughs> I think it was actually AOC who said that. Oh, really? That's right. It, yes. it was. Yeah, and and he um and he he really honed in on that line. Oh, but I remember yep. I remember that day because she said, you know, he's the young candidate in the race. And everyone was like, he's 74 years old. But you know, it it was he he was able he did did have these youthful ideas. He did, um, you know, yeah. partner with AOC to write the Green New Deal and clearly harnessed, um, you know, that that youthful energy. Um, and it, it was really just something to watch yeah. a 74-year-old man with more than 40 years in Congress, um, you know, beat back a Kennedy and have it be one of the most important wins and, and perhaps the biggest win of this cycle for progressives. Yep. No, absolutely. All right. Hey, great conversation, folks. Folks, and great look at most of the uh, big issues of the week. But we can't let you go. There must have been something this week that really caught your attention on the political realm or otherwise. Share us. We ask you to share your favorite story of the week. Uh, Jason, why don't you take us uh, lead off here? Okay. Um, th- this, uh, as as I may, I might have said this before on, on on your podcast, Bill, but I'm a I'm a big reader of the Saturday paper. Uh, I I feel like it's, <laughs> it's sort of like the stepchild of American journalism. Nobody reads the Saturday yeah. paper, no. uh, but I I read it pretty religiously. And last Saturday, uh, after there had been a like a day of digestion of the two conventions, uh, they they published a, an essay by Philip Kennecott uh, in the Washington Post. He's, he's their art and architecture critic. And he, he had this great essay about how um, basically our relationship to time has been altered by Donald Trump. <laughs> and and it's, it, it is, it's like, if you read this, it's almost, it almost gives you a little bit of a, of a David Foster Wallace type headache, uh, like to, to try to process exactly what he's saying, although it does make sense. And that's that, the never-ending sort of uh, emergencies and calamities and accusations and falsehoods and all the craziness that has gone into the last three and a half years. And then the weird, you know, non-message of the Republican National Convention has basically, like, he pulls all these threads together to say, like, it's it's like reading, you know, an E.E. E. Cummings poem that he quotes about saying, like, the... The president, you know, will make America great again, again, unless, of course, you elect Joe Biden, at which point, because everything is Joe Biden's fault, it will go back to more catastrophe. And it's just like, it's this great, like, um, like sort of twist on things. And it's, it, it was, it made sense as, and as we, you know, we do this for a living and we still struggle to figure out what's going on. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and th- this is what 
to, to me kind of pulled it together. And my hat's off to political artist uh, Philip Hancock <laughs> for this story. Uh, who can find some new twist, right, on the Donald Trump story, right? <laughs> Maya, what ta- caught your attention? So um, a story in Politico magazine uh, that featured, it was a question and answer that I thought was really fascinating um, just on the, uh, the days following the 57th March on Washington, a historian named Claiborne Carson uh, made the claim that this moment, while folks are really comparing it to 1968, he said is really more like 1963, um, specifically as it relates to the March on Washington and the real policy push now among um, Black Lives Matter and the movement for Black Lives to really affect some policy changes um, and actually, you know, put into um, into motion or into law a lot of the ideas that they've been pushing for um, in the streets this summer. And so, of course, we know that the Civil Rights Act of 1964 was one of the biggest, um, uh, I guess, results of the March on Washington mm-hmm. in 1963. But now we have the Breathe Act, um, a number of activists that are actually able to, um, or and allies that are running and winning, uh, like Cory Bush to go to Congress, um, Jamal Bowman and others. And the the point that this story this story is making is that there's you know, there's there's a way to compare these things to the past, um, but in actually being able to identify and, and find some um, some policy changes and really just like the concrete ideas that have really been a, a through line from 1963 to now um, is is really fascinating and it's and it's worth examining here. So I thought it was pretty interesting just to see um, how far we've come at, on this issue. Mm-hmm. It does seem very elevated now this summer. Um, and of course, how much work there is still to go um, and how different all of this looks in 2020 um, with the, the advent of, of the coronavirus and how that's changed the way people protest. And even just the idea of cell phone video um, as a push to, to get people to see the injustices that are happening. Um, and so right. it was a really fascinating story and a, and a good look at, at how historians are also um, making sense of all of this. And it'll be so interesting to see what concrete steps result, right, from the current movement as well in the current protest. Absolutely. Uh, right, as we saw. Uh, yes, Addy Baird, your favorite story of the week. Yeah. Um, so, you know, my favorite story this week was published by Dennis Overby at the New York Times, and it was headlined, These Black Holes Shouldn't Exist, But There They Are. Uh, um, I saw that. <laughs> Go ahead. It, I didn't it, read you it. Know, Oh, you've you've got to. Um, first of all, I think that that Dennis Overby writes some of the most amazing like news prose, and he writes about outer space, and and he really it is it is the most beautiful writing. And um, this particular article, uh, as one um, of the researchers that that he talked to put it, said, um, nature seems to have ignored all of our careful theoretical calculations, arguing that black holes of this mass don't exist and it's about these the this amazing you know um this amazing <laughs> i don't even quite know what the word for uh it would be this amazing event with that that re- researchers for the first time have been able to f- kind of begin to understand why we have these black holes that are so much bigger than um a dying star because of course a black hole is a dying star but when you have these black holes that are 80 to 100 times bigger than the sun it doesn't make any sense and these the, these astronomers were able to basically uh see quote unquote with their tools two enormous black holes colliding and creating this much bigger black hole that has you know advanced their understanding of how black holes of this massive massive size can form and I love this story because I'm fascinated by outer space. I think Dennis Overby is an incredible writer. And also because thinking about something that is like a hundred times bigger than the sun um, <laughs> was Good. kind of calming. When, <laughs> it kind of made me feel I'm... a little smaller and like a little less crazy when, you know, to consider that there are enormous black holes colliding and forming even bigger ones out there. 
I'm so impressed that you are into uh, that kind of uh, outer space reality and theory. Uh, myself, I think we live in a black hole, and maybe that explains it. <laughs> a political black hole, for sure. <laughs> uh, well, um, so my favorite story of the week is a lot more down to earth. But, you know, I've been around camp politics, as I mentioned earlier, a long time. And uh, in running campaigns, it used to be that campaign signs, getting people to put up signs in the yard, was like the big thing. Well, you know, it's sort of like coming back now. Um, it's so retrograde, but signs are still a big deal. And so is the problem of people tearing down campaign signs for the opposition. Uh, and buried in a story in the Washington Post this week about the Biden campaign in Pennsylvania, in rural parts of Pennsylvania, uh, a lot of Trumpers are tearing down Joe Biden signs. So the Biden people have come up with some very clever ways to protect their signs. Uh, the easiest way, of course, is to put them inside your window so they can't get at them. Uh, but more creatively, uh, there's one woman who said she put planted her sign in a poison ivy patch, <laughs> which I thought was pretty good. Um, they're also, they put out suggestions that you could rub the sign with um, olive oil, Vaseline, and cayenne pepper, uh, or get this, with fox, deer, or coyote urine. Uh, unsure where you collect the coyote urine, not sure. Uh, and they say the most effective, actually, is something with glitter, Tabasco sauce and glitter, or dog poop. And glitter. Uh, but the article points out that uh, that these campaign workers have found that glitter, once it's on your hands, it's like there forever. It's like impossible to get off. Uh, they call it the herpes of the crafting world. So I just want you to know, uh, if anybody out there is thinking of putting up a sign, um, there's some creative some, uh, ideas to protect your sign. But I think the real message is Leave the signs alone because you don't know. You may end up with your hands covered with dog poop and glitter. There you go. Politics brought up the date. You heard it here first. Uh, and that's it for today's roundtable. Addie Bear, thank you so much for joining us from BuzzFeed. Maya King, good to have you here from Politico. And Jason Dick, as always, from CQ Roll Call. Uh, we'll see you again on another edition soon of the uh, roundtable. Thank you, guys. And thank to all of you for listening and staying up to date with the news of the week on the Bill Press Pod roundtable. Uh, please subscribe to the Bill Press Pod if you haven't already done so by going to wherever you're listening to this podcast pull up the bill press pod click on subscribe and you are in tell all your friends to do the same and while you're at it follow me on twitter at bill press pod at bill press pod that's it for today stay strong stay safe wear your mask and we'll see you on the next edition of the bill press pod 